I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute. Welcome to the Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Jennifer Moss, an award-winning journalist, author, and public speaker. First book, Unlocking Happiness at Work, won the UK Business Book of the Year Award. But today, we're talking about her new book, which comes out on September the 28th from Harvard Business Press called The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. So looking forward to the conversation, Jennifer, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. This seems to be a perennial topic, Jennifer. I'm wondering what is your motivation for writing the book now? I've spent years really digging into workplace wellness. And over the years, I've started to uncover that a lot of organizations are sort of attacking the burnout prevention piece wrong, that they're dealing in self-care solutions, that it's the individual's problem to solve. And in 2019, when the World Health Organization actually identified burnout as a workplace phenomena, it propelled me to really try to get organizations thinking more about their role and the accountability they play in preventing burnout and, and actually causing burnout as well. You used the word epidemic in the title, the burnout epidemic. Is there any relationship to the other epidemic that's going on? It's interesting because I did start writing about burnout. You know, I've done research on the topic for years and I, I did start writing this book before the pandemic hit. I had about 20,000 words that I had to scrap because of what was feeling like a tone-deaf book in the middle of this pandemic that we were in. So we did end up changing the title from Rethinking Burnout to the Burnout Epidemic because it really felt like it had become this vast, rapidly moving phenomena. It was already in existence long before the pandemic, but you know, crises tend to exacerbate existing problems, and that's what's happened this year. Do you think the epidemic, the COVID epidemic, has just highlighted a problem that already existed, or is it actually exacerbated it in some way? Because we've got a lot of talk of the, the grand resignation phenomenon, and I'm wondering whether that's just the unlocking of something that was there already, or whether we have something new that happened. You know, we've had issues like meeting fatigue, for example, has been an issue for a long time, and now we just have Zoom burnout. So it's, you know, it's the same issue, but we've just sort of lit a match to a workforce and drought is how I've, I've looked at it. It's just basically highlighted all of these existing problems. You know, when you do look at the root causes, so much of this is systemic and institutionalized and, you know, bad policies that have been around for a long time. But then you just come into a year where there's external stresses and we're facing our own mortality and we're pivoting and learning and there's issues with the work stoppage and then having to fill in that vacuum. All these reasons have just made it so much worse. So I guess we should attempt a definition. You defined it, I noticed, in terms of not just workload and an amount of work. I mean, burnout to me, I imagine a light bulb burning out, like we used it too much. But you're stressing other aspects like relationships and so on. So I'm wondering, how do you define burnout? I really go by the World Health Organization's definition and their inclusion in the International Classification of Diseases, their IDC-11, which happened in 2019. And that was the first time that they really defined burnout as a workplace phenomenon, occupational phenomena. And that was a milestone for a lot of burnout researchers to say, hey, you know, this is where it really lives in these systems that are failing at work. And it really is just workplace stress left unmanaged, you know, left untreated, left uncared for. And that is what we have tried to really stick to in this space. Our, the really serious researchers in this space are trying to focus people on 
taking it away from the individual to solve. You know, it isn't just you're not managing your life better, or you should breathe more, or, you know, you're tackling too many things in your personal life, and you just need to say no to your boss, you know, all these things that really leave it to the person when burnout has to just be about occupational stress that's left without treatment. So we certainly have a lot of commentary on on the topic, you know, the great resignation and so on. And from what I can gather, there's a reasonable case that we have a lot of disenchantment with people and their corporations. How do we know that we have objectively a burnout phenomenon? Because I could visualize working from home. It seems to me plausible that perhaps there are no boundaries. So we're working 24 hours a day or the work is a little less meaningful than it was. I could also imagine that people have enriched their family and personal lives. So I'm I'm wondering, how would we know that objectively we have a burnout phenomenon going on? So I was able to do novel research in partnership with Dr. Christina Maslock and Dr. Michael Leiter, who are the foremost experts in burnout, and Dr. David Whiteside, who's an expert in organizational behavior. We looked at well-being and burnout for folks inside of the second wave of the pandemic. We accessed data from 46 different countries. We found that it was universal. And the reason for this is that what we did identify is that people are exhausted, which is a sign of burnout. You know, this exhaustion level, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we added 48 minutes to the workday. Number of meetings have increased by 24%. So we're just working harder. So exhaustion makes sense. But then we also had this sort of emotional distancing from our jobs. So we didn't feel like we were as effective. We weren't connected to the goals anymore. It felt like we were in one meeting after the other. It's like all of a sudden, you know, Zoom became an option and it's all anyone did all day long. So we had this emotional distance from our jobs. And then we also had what we found in the research and what Maslock and Leiter determined is sort of the biggest eye opener of the data was that there was just so much cynicism. And that really was based on external factors like just the Delta and how people were treated in their healthcare, the polarization externally in society how people were treated at work. I mean, all these different factors were leading people to feel like they had no control over their life. They had no agency and there was a sense of hopelessness. And so that's why this year, really, we've seen just this catastrophic effect of, you know, burnout, slow flame, slow burn. And now here we are in a, in a forest fire, essentially. And what happens as a result of burnout? What are the consequences? I mean, there's the feeling of exhaustion and so on, but what happens to employment, loyalty, productivity, other things? What, what happens as a result of the phenomenon? What we see over time, and, and I've really found Dr. Marie Asberg's work based out of Stockholm in Sweden, she writes about burnout as extreme exhaustion disorder, and she's mapped sort of this journey of someone going through these burnout symptoms. And so we talk about, I'm burned out. Well, most people aren't actually burned out because that's the, the wall that we hit at the end. It's this evolving experience of sort of dips and then we get back to a set point and then a bit of a dip, we get back to a set point. We've dealt with chronic stress sort of over and over. And then what happens is that there's a point where we are burned out and she describes it as hitting the wall, you know, falling off that cliff. And when you see this person, you see their mental health completely plummet. And then it can take 18 months to two years to fully recover. People experience PTSD. They can be hospitalized. Overwork, for example, is responsible for the deaths of 2.8 million people globally a year. So there's, there's real catastrophic impacts. You know, suicides in female physicians are extraordinarily high. So it isn't just that we, you know, have to take a week off and then we recover. The effects of having chronic symptoms of stress and to an eventual point of burnout 
is really dangerous. Do you think that this is largely a phenomenon of greater awareness and care for something that was there all along? Or do you think there's some sort of deterioration that's going on? Are we actually objectively working harder? Or are we just caring about the fact that we've always overworked? I think it's a a bit of both. I think there's more awareness and we can label it more and people are more self-aware of what their experience of work is. You go through 20 months of facing your own mortality. You have a different way of looking at the world and life and what you're doing for a living and doesn't matter. You question those things. And so then that, you know, also plays into employers having to address that and respond to that. They were in a place where they had no frame of reference in their leadership strategy. So they were making things up on the fly. And that made them more open to asking questions and figuring out what was going on. So it's sort of just a bunch of different factors. The fact that you would never have this many people collectively working remote and leaders having to figure out a way to to channel that, to deal with that, to handle it. So everything sort of came up for grabs. And then burnout, I think it has been a deterioration just in the amount of work that we are doing. We are working more. Just the data says that we're just working more hours. Um, One stat believes that we're working actually 30% more. We're putting in 30% more effort to hit the same pre-COVID goals. And a lot of that has to just do with the inertia, the distractions, you know, the always on feelings that we're having by melding our work and home life together. So again, it's a mixture of different factors that are all playing into more awareness and also just the realization that we're at a more burned out state than we ever have been historically. You mentioned six root causes of burnout, i just read them out. High workload, perceived lack of control, lack of reward or recognition, poor relationships, lack of fairness, and values mismatch. Is there one which has become much more prevalent as a result of remote working during COVID? Workload has always been the leading cause and workload remains the leading cause of burnout. But what we've seen more so in the last decade, but particularly inside of the pandemic is the lack of community peace. So this loneliness and isolation, essentially loneliness at work has really grown. And the themes from our research were quite dramatic. We did see people feeling their loneliest that they've ever felt before because we've seen increasing loneliness in single occupancy dwellings, for example. We used to see people living together with their family and, you know, multi-generational families together, which we've known to increase happiness that has deteriorated. Some urban centers have 70% of people living alone. And then you have a pandemic again. Here you are, you're not connecting with colleagues, you're not connecting with friends, you feel disconnected from coworkers. Some people started their job in the pandemic and had never actually met their boss or their peers in real life. So this was a real big symptom of the pandemic as it relates to burnout risk. Do you see companies addressing the phenomenon of burnout in the wrong way? Perhaps they're sincere in their attentions, but they they misplace the point or misdiagnose the problem. What are are some of the patterns of mistreatment of the problem, let's say? I think that's a great question. I actually dedicate a chapter in the book to good intentions gone wrong. And there's a lot of really great aspirational ways of leading. And we want to be that person where we're caring for our employees. But sometimes we just get the tactic wrong. For example, there's some companies right now that keep sort of touting that they're giving a a well-being day off or they have a week off just to help their burned out employees recover. But they're missing the point that we shouldn't burn them out in the first place. So 
we should be analyzing what is the workload that's creating this need for you to give people pay time off. And, you know, we shouldn't celebrate that you're giving people vacation if you are exhausting them. And when they return to work, they're going to go right back into the same environment of overwork. So these are the kind of things that we see as these solutions that aren't really solutions. They solve the problem for a bit and they make really great PR, but they're not actually tackling the problem. You know, Fridays off are great, but are people working Saturdays and Sundays? All these things we really need to be looking at. And if we look at a four-day work week, it has to be a 35-hour work week, not a 60-hour work week, but with Friday off. So these are all the things that are important for us to strategically analyze. Are these Band-Aid solutions? Are we really dealing with the problem upstream? Conversely, what are some effective ways or some of the most effective ways you've seen of, of dealing with the problem? You know, it's a massive macro problem with infrastructure policy. We're dealing with things like lack of fairness and, you know, systemic racism. And, you know, these are big things that people feel like they can't solve. You know, that just feels so big to a lot of managers. I cannot solve this because that's way, you know, beyond me or I'm not maybe a decision maker around equity and pay. Really what direct managers have this capacity to do is build trusted relationships with their team by having weekly check-ins that talk about something that's non-work related. And you have to do this from now until eternity. This is not a diet, it's a lifestyle change. It's a cultural you know, shift. It's a 15-minute conversation and you ask three questions. The first question is, you know, how was this week? Anything that made you feel like you couldn't hit your goals or you know, things going on in your personal, professional life? What's happening? that is potentially creating stress or what made this week really great. You know, start that off with just these basic sort of questions about people's life. And then the second question really are, you know, what are those things that you feel like you could get some help on? You know, what are those things that you felt like you were making urgent versus priority this week and you keep putting things off? And then the third one is just, what can we do for each other as a teammate to make next week easier? And what can I do for you as a manager to make next week a little bit easier? And that's every single Thursday, Friday, we ask this question. So not that we necessarily do it, but it, that sounds in a sense like managerial common sense, you know, asking people how it's going, removing obstacles, addressing situations where, where people are too stressed. Is it essentially managerial common sense? Yes. And as we know about common sense, it isn't all that common, unfortunately. I work with lots of organizations at the strategic end, really just helping them understand what burnout prevention actually looks like. And they're shocked at how micro-targeted the solutions are and that it really is about this check-in. And a lot of what's happened in the pandemic is just we've become too busy, quote unquote. So meaning we've downgraded or deprioritized the things that are actually just what I call grandma's rules, you know, <laughs> empathetic leadership. And I also really strongly suggest building empathy in our conversations and not empathy, golden rule, do unto others as we would have done unto ourselves, but do unto others as they would have done unto themselves. And that means you build communication strategy. All your policies are based in the vision or the image of others that you're serving, not yourself. And that really can construct a culture where you're, you're thinking about other people's needs before your own. And the more we do these sort of common sense practices, the more we'll see burnout dramatically reduced. One thing I was interested in in reading your book was the fact that it seems to be, you'll tell me if I get this right, but it seems to be partly an issue of circumstances, namely other circumstances causing people to overwork, but also the sensitivity or the managerial mechanisms of the individual. Are the individuals resilient? And did I get that right? And if so, what about the self-care part of the equation? What can we do as individuals to avoid the phenomenon of burnout? 
we need to still think about our life as a whole and how we want to show up to life. And that means reducing the stress in our lives as much as possible. And we do have control over that. You know, we have to make sure that we're taking breaks, that we aren't living in this place of obsessive passion for work versus harmonious passion. People that are type A and high performing tend to have perfectionist concerns and they catastrophize. That's a real predictor of burnout as well. So there's parts of us that we need to be more self-aware and be working on consistently. And then the employer needs to make sure that they're supporting that work and you're not just trying to take that away once we you know, are building our psychological fitness up. So one connection of your topic, I guess, is with another much discussed topic, which is the future of work. There's a lot of discussion of the substitution of some human activities by AI. There's a discussion about hybrid workplaces and so on. What does the burnout phenomenon fit into the future of work discussion, do you think? You know, right now we're in this unbelievable state of uncertainty about what the future of work looks like. And I think we have this capacity and not to sound Pollyanna, but there is post-traumatic growth moment that I think we all can have. Whereas we look at not wasting the crisis by not learning anything from it. So what do we want to intentionally do as an opportunity out of this situation and develop the infrastructure around burnout prevention, more conversations around mental health at work? We've been able to adopt telehealth like we've never could have imagined before in, in the last two years. And what we're finding is that a lot of people do like to have anonymous conversations with AI or robots or with people that they aren't connected to the organization at all. They're not part of the HR team. So more of these implementations of ways that we can communicate about mental health and is something that I see as a, as a real opportunity. And because of the pandemic, it's just made it so much more accessible. So we've adopted technology and some of it is harming us. Definitely, we're overusing it. But there's a lot of really great things that have changed in our behaviors that might make it so that and manages our mental health in a better way in the future. So if one of our listeners was interested in the topic and open to the idea that they might have a burnout issue, but perhaps not sure, perhaps mixed signals, where would you start? What would you look at to assess the, the state of burnout in your organization? And what would be some of the key elements of a, a program, some key levers that a leader would pull at the beginning of the process? One of the places that I always go back to, because she is the foremost expert and he is as well as Maslock and Leiter, they developed um, a burnout inventory, the MBI, and then there's also the areas of work-life survey. Dr. Susan Jackson was involved in the development of that. But it is a great way to do a bit of a litmus test. It's a short survey. You can have an anonymous feedback that way. But it's basically just assessing, you know, what is the level of burnout? And the way that that scale measures is really just frequency every week of, it looks at a bunch of different impacts, but to simplify it, it's really looking at levels of exhaustion, how frequently you're feeling like that. Are you feeling exhausted at the end of every day? Do you need to take a nap by five? Do you feel like you're not rest in the morning? Are you dreading going into work? That level of emotional distance and disengagement, how often you feel like that in a week matters. And if you're starting to see that that's happening two or three times as frequency of feeling like this, you're probably at risk of burnout. And if you're feeling feelings of cynicism, again, those red flags, you know, do I feel like this is how it's always going to be? Am I using words like it's never going to change? Or, you know, I'm just so exhausted by all this. What's the point? That kind of internal narrative or that language usually means that you are suffering. And that's when we need to really pay attention. And, and also is our, 
life impacted? You know, are we taking breaks anymore? Are we paying attention to things that matter? You know, I keep saying to people, our deathbed regrets aren't going to be, I sent out that last email at 11 or I didn't or I did. It doesn't matter. And so we need to get a little bit more macro and less myopic about how we're feeling every day, analyzing it and then going back to what really matters. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us, Jennifer. A very fascinating book and an important topic. I think it's something we're all vaguely aware of. I found the book particularly useful in terms of, you know, defining terms, making symptoms clear, thinking about consequences, root causes. It gave gave the topic a much more structure and, and discipline for me, enabled me to think about it more precisely. So good luck with the book launch, which is coming up soon. And thanks again for spending time with us. Thanks so much, Martin. Thanks for that feedback. That's really important that we give some more understanding around the topic. I think it'll help people to be more self-aware and manage their own and prevent their own burnout.